Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by Students For You. My name is Peter Roman, and this is episode 22 of the quarantine edition of my show. Today, I just have three segments compared to the four I've had over the last few weeks, and that's just because... There's kind of a lot to talk about, and I'll get into a lot of soccer stuff next week. But for this week, I'm going to talk about NHL free agency and a little bit about the draft that took place over this past week. NFL Week 5. There's even a game tonight, amazingly. I'll get into all of that stuff as well. And then the NBA Finals is where I'm going to start today. So the finals came to a close with the Los Angeles Lakers winning their 17th championship in franchise history. And, I mean, they weren't in Los Angeles the entire time, but still, as part of the Lakers franchise, they've won now 17 championships, tying the Boston Celtics for the most all-time. Miami fought really hard in this series, but in the end couldn't quite get it done. So I'm going to do a little bit of a recap of the entire series and then overall thoughts about the bubble experiment in Florida itself. So game one, obviously, Lakers won pretty comfortably after the Heat suffered injuries to both Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic. And I mean, you know, just because Miami would have had those players doesn't mean this series would have been different. But you certainly, you never want to see a team be shorthanded, right? You always want a team to beat another team at full strength, right? You know, the idea of you don't want to beat a lesser version of a team, right? That type of thinking. But Lakers won game one pretty easily, and they won game number two, a lot closer game, but LeBron James, Anthony Davis were absolutely dominant in the first two games. I would actually argue that through the first two games of the series that Anthony Davis was probably the favorite to win finals MVP but struggled in game three and four, in my opinion. And that left kind of the door open for LeBron to win his fourth finals MVP. Game three, of course, Jimmy Butler had a 40-point triple-double as Miami won to get back in the series. Lakers then won a closely contested game number four. The Heat just couldn't find a way to close properly in that one. It seemed like All the shots they were taking, they weren't getting good shots off. They weren't executing their offense properly at all. And the Lakers, I know the Lakers don't have the best defense ever, right? You know, you're not going to say that this Lakers team is anywhere close to, you know, some of the great defensive teams we've seen over the last, you know, few decades, right? Whether you're talking about the 2004 Detroit Pistons, the 2017 Golden State Warriors, um, the Pistons of the 80s, or even like, the 95-96 Chicago Bulls. So they're not that defensively. But for minute stretches, like I thought it was kind of weird watching the finals with the Lakers is because their defense for the most part isn't great. But then for like two minutes, three minutes, sometimes four minutes consecutively, they'll put together just a string of consecutive really good defensive possessions. And that I thought was really key for them to win a lot of these games where it's like the Lakers defense as a whole wasn't great, but they could be great for a couple minutes. And that would usually help them go on a big run offensively and in the end win the games. 
Game 5 was a was an absolute classic in this series because you had Jimmy Butler and LeBron James going literally shot for shot at the end of the game, bucket after bucket, such a fantastic finish, and Danny Green had the chance to be the Steve had a chance to do the Steve Kerr, John Paxson, you know, kind of moment where it's like he was given a wide open three-pointer, chance to win the game. And he missed, and then Morris threw it out of bounds on the rebound. So Miami survived with a Game 5 win, a gutsy Game 5 win. And ultimately it wasn't enough because Game 6 was a total blowout. Miami was down by 28 points at halftime. And it was pretty obvious, I think, that the Heat were a little out of gas. I think they were just so fatigued because Game 5 was such a big emotional victory. And then... Game six was just a little bit of a letdown, especially for a team that, you know, they got Dragic back, but it was pretty obvious he was playing injured. And Jimmy Butler was just so fatigued from what he had to do in the last few games. And so, in the end, Lakers won very comfortably. Rajon Rondo, by the way, in game number six, absolutely spectacular for the LA Lakers, who, like I said, have won now their 17th championship. Big congratulations to the Lakers. And, I mean, as far as how the series went, obviously LeBron James and Anthony Davis were really good in this series. And LeBron won finals MVP. I don't think anybody on this planet is surprised that happened. But for me, what was the biggest takeaway was the, my, sorry, excuse me, the Lakers role players. The guys like Rondo, like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, like Danny Green. I know he missed that clutch shot, but like outside of that. And then... You know, even some of the other guys, like Morris, and you had pretty good production out of a guy like JaVale McGee, I would say, as well, and Alex Caruso. Like, the Lakers role players. Like, obviously, Davis and LeBron were great, but the reason why LA won this series was because their, you know, complementary pieces stepped up in a big way in this series. Because typically, when you look at championship teams, you know... It is hard to win a championship without kind of that third piece, quote-unquote. Like that third player who's going to step up and make big contributions for the team in one way or another. It doesn't have to be scoring. It could be on defense. It could be, you know, with his passing. Like any number of things, right? But you look at the history of the teams who've won NBA championships, right? And you see, you know, your star players, obviously. But then you there's usually that third guy who is able to contribute in some way or another, right? And so, you know, just looking at the Chicago Bulls, for example, right? Obviously, you had Michael Jordan and you had Scottie Pippen, but then they always had that third guy, and it was Horace Grant for the first few championships, and then it was Dennis Rodman in the last few. And it's not because Grant and Rodman scored a lot, but it's because they brought a lot to the defensive end. They gave them great rim protection and a lot of size and rebounding, and that's what was important. And so for the Lakers, it was always a big question of who was going to be the third guy. And I think this series answered that it was a little bit by committee, but it worked. Because Rajon Rondo was the third guy, I think, for a lot of this series. His defense was really good. His passing was exceptional. And yeah, playoff Rondo is a real thing. He made some threes in this series. And Rondo, for most of his career, has been a terrible shooter. But he shot pretty well in this final series, I have to admit. And KCP, I think, also 
another guy who's kind of a streaky, inconsistent shooter. He found his shooting touch in this series, which again was huge for the LA Lakers in winning this thing. And so, obviously with the Lakers winning the title, there was a lot of talk about the greatest of all time discussion, the GOAT discussion, of course, because LeBron fans like having very short memories and, you know, maybe ignoring certain historical facts about basketball. But I'm not going to discredit LeBron in any way because he obviously is all around amazing and his career is certainly one that matches up to almost anybody's because i think you know i read an article on the athletic that i thought was really good as far as you know conceptualizing lebron's place in history because lebron isn't really like jordan he's more like magic johnson and when you think about their careers it's a little bit it's very similar as far as how you know they've been all around dominant haven't won quite as many championships as you think they would have but at the same time you know in play styles they were just they were really like freaks for what and I, I mean that in a good way as far as you know we've never seen a player at that size be able to do what they can do essentially and so I think that's probably a better comparison, right? LeBron now has his fourth championship, his fourth finals MVP. Magic Johnson obviously had five. LeBron's now been to 10 NBA finals. Magic Johnson pretty much made the same amount. And, you know, you think about the dominance each of them had on the sport for a certain period of time. And I I would certainly say that it's a fair comparison is LeBron and Magic. I think they have similar careers and LeBron's obviously still going and you know we'll, we'll see where he when he retires how much more he's added to his already outstanding resume but the reason why I wouldn't put him above Michael Jordan and this is kind of a takeaway I've had as far as when analyzing players across eras especially across eras there's three main things that you can use to compare players the first one is dominance so how good the player was at their best the second thing is numbers so numbers in different sports vary but i'm not talking about championship numbers i'm talking about things like points assists steals in the case of basketball in the case of soccer it would be things like goals and assists in the case of hockey same thing like goals assists points stuff like that uh if it's a goalie saves Uh, save percentage like that type of stuff would be in the numbers category and then there's the legacy category which is you know how is this player remembered and what did they do overall like like stuff that kind of goes beyond the sport in some cases It, it doesn't always have to be like that but you think about a player like Wayne Gretzky for example and obviously his legacy is just huge but in my opinion the biggest thing he did was the hockey in California thing because without Wayne Gretzky I don't think any of the California hockey teams exist today and that I think is the biggest part of his legacy it kind of goes beyond his sport a little bit where he was able to take a region of the United States that before him never cared about hockey and made them care about hockey and that's really significant so the reason why I have Jordan ahead of LeBron still is because 
as far as the dominance category at their best it's pretty easy to say that yeah jordan was obviously better at his best because when jordan was at his best he was unbeatable and he basically didn't lose and legacy wise lebron has a very very good legacy but michael jordan's i i would have to say is a little bit better because as much as you know lebron fans love to point out all of his numbers post 2012 the 2011 series against Dallas was very, very poor and not favorable to LeBron. And it's not that LeBron was, like, horribly terrible in that series, but he was quite obviously, he was the best player in that series, and he played, like, the sixth best player or the seventh best player in that series. And for a player of his caliber, that's not really ever acceptable as far as when you're looking at all-time category stuff. But, again... I'm not trying to take anything away from LeBron. It's more a compliment of how good Jordan was. Because LeBron, I think, certainly has the numbers category beat on Jordan. But dominance and legacy, I still think, are in Jordan's favor. But, you know, people want to have sports conversations on the GOAT because it's, you know, kind of fun and topical. And I get that. But that's just kind of my thought on it overall. I think the better comparison is Magic Johnson. Anyway, my last little bit, I wanted to make a point about the Miami Heat on this series because I think Miami, despite the fact they were a little underbanned with injuries, they played with a ton of heart, ton of desire, and this team has a really good future because Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, and Duncan Robinson are all really young players. And so if they continue to develop and grow and get better as basketball players... This team could be a contender for years to come because obviously Jimmy Butler, you know, he's kind of already at his peak right now. But you have those four guys who are really key players for this team and they're just going to get better and better and better. So I think Miami deserves a ton of credit. Their team way overachieved this year and they'll be certainly in the mix in the Eastern Conference next season. And I'm really excited to see how that goes. And then putting a wrap on the NBA season the bubble itself. So I have to give nothing but praise and admiration to the National Basketball Association for what they did with their bubble because they went to Orlando, Florida, which was the epicenter of the COVID-19 virus. And they had zero cases in the bubble, which means bubbles work no matter where you go, which is fantastic. They gave us great basketball, great social justice messaging, and it was a lot of fun. And I think, you know, whether you're a basketball fan or not, I think you can appreciate the just monumental task the NBA had of pulling this off. And they did it exceptionally. So full credit to the NBA. And that puts a wrap on the season. So on to the NFL, week number five. So we had another game postponed because... New England and Denver's game got moved because of positive tests out of New England. So that's a shame. But again, it's not surprising because the NFL refused to have any contingency plan. And at this point, they've exhausted their schedule so much that they're going to have to add a week 18, which is problematic for a number of reasons that I won't get into today just because it's a kind of a long conversation. But certainly, I wish they would have planned better with their schedule. But here we go. 
recaps of the games that were actually played. So, on Thursday night, we had Tampa Bay and Chicago. Really close game, but the key in this one, the reason why Chicago came out on top, and I know everyone wants to say Nick Foles, and I want to say Nick Foles as an Eagles fan. I love the guy. But the Bears' red zone defense, again, held teams to field goals and not touchdowns. And to be honest, I think that's the biggest asset Chicago has right now is that their team defensively, you know, it's not that they're like they are giving up quite a few yards on defense. Like, I'm not going to say that they've been completely stifling teams, but when they get to the red zone and teams are trying to score touchdowns, the Bears are making them kick field goals. And that was the difference in this game. I think Tampa Bay played better, but Chicago found a way to win. Their defense kept them in it. And Nick Foles does Nick Foles things in the fourth quarter. Carolina and Atlanta. So Atlanta has now fired Dan Quinn after the loss against the Panthers. It was 23-16 the final. Atlanta's 0-5 for the first time since 1997. And Carolina, I have to give a ton of credit to Matt Rule, Teddy Bridgewater, and all those guys there. Because without Christian McCaffrey, who's maybe the best running back in football, they're 3-0. and And they are now tied for top of the division with the, as I mentioned before, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think Carolina's a playoff team. But this is unbelievably impressive what they're doing. And Atlanta's in total freefall right now. So, yeah, they're, they're going to need a new coach. And, oh, they also fired their general manager. Forgot to mention that as well. So they'll need a new general manager as well. Atlanta is a team with some talent, but it's pretty obvious that they just, they can't seem to win these games. They just find ways to lose when they really should come out with wins. Bengals and Ravens. This game, really quickly, Baltimore is way better than Cincinnati. And Cincinnati's quarterback, Joe Burrow, has been hit more than any quarterback in football. That's pretty much it. Jaguars and Texans. So Houston finally got their first win of the season, 30-14 to win over Jacksonville, who, you know, Jacksonville looked like one of the worst teams in football. Not the worst, but one of the worst for sure. Houston won in their first game since the firing of head coach and GM Bill O'Brien. So good for Houston, but this is just two teams that aren't going to make the playoffs this year. Raiders and Chiefs. This was the surprising upset of the week because you had, oh, sorry, I almost said Oakland. Las Vegas win 40-32. to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense was stifled in the second half. It was actually kind of surreal to watch, but they could get nothing going on that Raiders defense in the second half. And credit to Vegas. They played really well in this game. Henry Ruggs was a big get for them in the draft. Yeah. Vegas might be a playoff team this year. Cardinals and Jets. So Cardinals are 3 and 2 because they won 30 to 10. The Jets are 0 and 5 and the worst team in football. Pretty easy. Eagles and Steelers. So despite the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles were super injured and undermanned in this game, they played really well, I think. They fought really hard. If the defense wasn't terrible, you know, maybe they would have had a different result, but Pittsburgh, they're 4 and 0 now. I don't think they're that good, and that might be a little controversial, but Pittsburgh hasn't really beaten anybody of substance, and no, the Eagles are not a good team, not even close, but the Steelers found a way to win. I'll give them credit for that, but this is a very injured, very poor Eagles team. 
Rams and the football team. So LA won this game 30 to 10, but that doesn't really matter because Alex Smith came back. And for anybody who hasn't, who didn't hear about what happened to him and his injury, it is an unbelievable story. I watched the little documentary ESPN made on their E60 series about Alex Smith and how the amount of surgeries he needed and the fact that he almost lost his leg and at some point he almost lost his life because of the infection that happened. It's, it's honestly surreal and I wouldn't do it justice by talking about it right now. And the fact that he played in this game, I mean, just nothing but admiration for Alex Smith who deserves nothing but praise and yeah like i i hope that smith can you know play without getting injured obviously but i think this game certainly went beyond the score line because the return of alex smith was fantastic for himself his family and for just for football fans i think all right next game was miami and san francisco now this was shocking beyond belief san francisco didn't just lose to miami they got blown out miami just annihilated san francisco and jimmy garoppolo got benched in this game he threw two interceptions miami just couldn't like, like it seemed like they just couldn't stop scoring yeah crazy crazy game credit to the dolphins they were exceptional and that's the worst game i've seen this niners team play in a long time Colts and Browns. So this game, I think, can be summed up pretty simply. Cleveland won because the Colts have Phillip Rivers at quarterback. He threw a back-breaking pick six, and it's not the first time he's done that. Giants and Cowboys. So as much as as an Eagles fan, you know, I really don't like the Cowboys and I don't like the Giants, but I have to say I really hope Dak Prescott's okay. For anyone who hasn't seen what happened to Dak Prescott, don't watch it. It's terrifying. And he had surgery. He's out four to six months. His broken ankle. And I wish him nothing but the best. I hope Dak Prescott gets every penny that he deserves. And Jerry Jones isn't a cheap bastard like he kind of was this summer. But we'll see. Dallas won this game, but it doesn't matter because their season is over. Even if they find a way to win the horrible NFC East... I mean, Andy Dalton's their quarterback, and Andy Dalton has a horrendous playoff record. So, Dallas's season is sadly done, and I wish Dak Prescott nothing but the best, and a speedy, speedy recovery. Vikings and Seahawks, Russell Wilson does Russell Wilson things to make the comeback and beat Minnesota, who's now 1-4, and, and pretty much done on the season. Seattle going for that number one seed. And Monday Night Football, Justin Herbert played really well for the Chargers, but sadly kicking issues and the Chargers go hand in hand, uh, side by side pretty much all the time. And so the Saints won with a 36-yard field goal in overtime. Game tonight is Buffalo and Tennessee. So should be interesting to see how the Titans do. This is their first game since the outbreak of COVID on their team. So we'll keep an eye on that. And finally, the NHL free agency slash draft. So the draft for the most part, went how a lot of people thought it would. Calgary ended up trading down twice and then still got their player, Connor Zary. So excited to see what he might have to bring in a few years. Alexi Lafreniere, of course, went first. Quinton Byfield became the highest um, black player drafted in NHL history, which is awesome. 
and fantastic for Byfield, so he goes to the LA Kings. And Ottawa got Tim Stutzel and Sanderson as their two picks in the top five. But on to the free agency. So Calgary signed two players, Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev, both formerly of the Vancouver Canucks. Markstrom was signed for six years, $6 million per season. Tanev, four, four years, $4.5 million per season. I mean, I don't know. Markstrom signing, I don't mind, but it's, you know, too long of a contract. The Tanev signing, I think, is just too much money because he's been injury prone and stuff like that. He's on the wrong side of 30. I'm not super confident in that, but my overall takeaway for the Calgary Flames signings, to be honest, it's that Bradshaw Living knows he's on a ticking clock right now because I think Bradshaw Living realizes that the team he's built has not lived up to expectations, not even close. And so they have to start doing that eventually, otherwise it's going to be curtains for him. And so I think this is kind of throwing everything at getting them over the hump eventually. The Oilers signed Kyle Turris to a two-year deal at a pretty reasonable rate for third-line center, I will say. But they re-signed Mike Smith. And I don't think that's great, considering the amount of goalies that were available. I think they could have certainly done a lot better. Tyson Berry, I think, was a good pickup, though, at least for the power play. But losing Oscar Clefbaum, that's tough for the Oilers that were already bad defensively. Montreal signed Tyler Toffoli to a really good contract, in my opinion. And they signed Josh Anderson to a terrible contract, in my opinion. But Montreal certainly got a lot better this offseason. The Ottawa Senators didn't do a lot, but they did sign Matt Murray, who they traded for, to a four-year extension at $6.25 million a season. The Maple Leafs got TJ Brody, so I wish Brody all the best, but the $5 million a season, I'm not terribly upset the Flames didn't pay it type of thing. And they also traded Janssen for Jody for Joey Anderson, and they signed Bogosian and VC. So a couple of small, small things for the Leafs, but nothing too crazy. TJ Brody will probably make their defense a little bit better, but not, um, not overwhelmingly. Vancouver lost, like, almost half their team in free agency. They signed Brayden Holtby to a pretty good contract, in my opinion, but Vancouver, it's going to be an uphill battle to try and replicate what they did this past season in making the second round. And the Jets traded for Paul Stastny, which I think was notable, just because Stastny gives them that second-line center they've been looking for for a long time. Speaking of Vegas, they got Alex Petrangelo on a seven-year deal worth $8.8 million, .8 million a season. And I think it's really good. Vegas might be a little too top-heavy for my liking, but certainly, certainly a contender in the NHL. And I think they'll be in the mix to make the finals next year. Taylor Hall signed a one-year deal with the Buffalo Sabres, which was really surprising, mostly just because Buffalo hasn't been very good. And Hall's always talked about wanting to go to a winner, and Buffalo's not that. But he, has, he does get to play with Jack Eichel, and Eichel's one of the better centers in the league so i'm curious to see how that goes with hall in buffalo the sabers will certainly be a playoff contender this upcoming season and tory krug signed with the st louis blues as they replaced alex petrangelo pretty quickly and so st louis i still think will be in the mix among the better teams in the western conference but that's it that's all i got for notables on that next week i'll get into a lot more soccer stuff as well as a look on the NBA offseason and next season as well, and NFL Week 6, assuming the games get played. I'll talk about that as well. But once again, 
Be happy, be healthy, and stay safe, everybody.